took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Thank you, Matt. So uh, children birth through uh, four years old are dismissed to nursery, if you would like uh, to go there. So good morning. How are we all doing? Great. Um, I spent the week in Denver, and, but I was in Denver, not the Rocky Mountains. You know how Denver is right before. So I saw the mountains. I said, hello, and then that was it. So I, didn't get any, <laughs> I was uh, busy with my learning cohort from CCDA, Christian Community Development Association, and, uh, but it is good to be back. Got home uh, Friday night late and then got to watch the Dodgers beat up on the Cardinals yesterday uh, in St. Louis, which is great. But uh, grace and peace to you. It is good to be back. Um, uh, as I look back two weeks ago today, two weeks ago from, um, from today, uh, when we gathered, uh, the lectionary text had us read uh, this verse as part of the, the passage. Jesus says to his disciples, are you so dull? Are you dull? Right? This could be translated in different ways, uh, but dull is what the NIV has. And then last week, we looked at Jesus in his interaction with the uh, Syrian Phoenician woman, it says, First, let the children eat all, all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So, this is a way of sort of even, you know, saying to this woman, You are part of the dog category, right? And today we have, <clears throat> when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. So I don't know if you notice a pattern here, but we could have a three-week series called Jesus the Name Caller, right? Or Mean Jesus, because he does this three weeks in a row with the lectionary text. A couple of observations about our passage this morning. This is one of seven occurrences in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says, do not tell anyone. Do not tell anyone what's happening or, what, or that you're calling me the Messiah, this is common in Mark and perhaps communicating that Jesus um, is a different kind, different from faith or, or from uh, fame-seeking healers. He's different from army-gathering messiahs and the potential that the kingdom of God is hidden from plain view. Even though the disciples were in on it, um, in on the secret, they truly, they don't get it. In the next passage um, in Mark, we have the transfiguration, followed by Jesus again predicting his death. And then the disciples decide, well, they have this argument after that prediction is, who's the greatest among us? <laughs> Jesus saying, I'm going to go to the cross. Well, who's the greatest? So another interaction of the disciples not quite comprehending what's going on. So <clears throat> some uh, in seminary uh, professors say, when you are developing your sermon, your sermon always have, um, try to have the end in mind, um, uh, begin with the end in mind. So there are two questions that we're going to wrestle with today, and I thought about just bringing those at the end of the sermon, but I want to actually ask the questions now, um, and we're going to have some pause, some reflection on these two questions, because they come from our text. It's not questions that really I've developed, um, but they come from our text, and the two passages are, or the two things are this. Jesus asking us this morning 
Jesus asking you this morning, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So let's pause here. I actually just want us to hold this question together. Uh, Feel free to grab a pen or the bulletin in front of you and even just jot down a word, a phrase. um, Could be multiple words, whatever. Who who do you say that I am? So we're going to pause for about a about a minute here, and I'm going to allow you to reflect upon that question. Who do you say that I am? <clears throat> a second question is this that we're going to hold together today is, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? So in my studying and reading this week um, of our passage, I came across the storyline of Shizaku Endu's uh, 1966 novel, Silence. Uh, Later, in 2016, Martin Scorsese uh, made a film based on this novel. Has anyone seen the movie Silence? Anyone here? Um, I have seen maybe four or five clips from the movie. It is powerful. It is intense. I thought about showing a clip here, but it might be a little too much for a little one. So um, it, I would highly recommend this, um, well, to read the novel, but then also to take a look at the movie um, from Martin Scorsese. Based on a true story, it is a story of a young Portuguese Jesuit priest, Sebastio Rodriguez. He travels to Japan to assist a local church and investigate a report that his friend and mentor has committed apostasy. Now, that's a fancy word. Apostasy meaning to renounce the faith, to say no, to leave the faith altogether. Okay? So he travels to to Japan to see if his mentor has, in fact, left the journey of faith, right? The novel shares of the trials of hidden Christians in a time that followed the defeat of the Shimbara rebellions And it's a film about the increasing hardship that this Rodriguez suffers. As he and his companion arrive in Japan in 1639, they find that the local Christian population has been driven underground. In order to discover the hidden Christians, the government, the security officials, force suspected Christians to trample on an image of Christ. Okay? image of Christ, to walk on top of this image of Christ. Those who refused to do so would be imprisoned, 
tortured, and killed. When Rodriguez is captured along with his companion, he begins to realize that there is no glory in martyrdom, only brutality and cruelty. Prior to his arrival, the authorities, the government, um, had been attempting to force priests to renounce their faith by torturing them. And when they, uh, now they torture other Christians as the priests look on and tell the priests that all they must do to renounce their faith is to renounce their faith in order to end the suffering. Now, Rodriguez has been brought up with an image of Christ that is noble, okay? that is noble, otherworldly, strong, and heroic. His Christ is full of qualities that he aspires to possess and to live. Yet Rodriguez's prayer for salvation from the present circumstances is found to be an only one-way communication. Rodriguez is praying that God would deliver them from their circumstances, and it seems like nothing's getting through, right? right? Um, his Christ that he has in his mind is silent, which is where the silence where the title comes from. At a climactic moment, Rodriguez hears the moans of those who have recanted but continue to be tormented until he tramples on this image of Christ. When the image is brought to a cell to be trampled on, Rodriguez realizes that this Christ image is quite different from his own. This Christ is dirty, distorted, chipped, and broken. Yet he still refuses to trample on the image, to apostasy, to renounce, even as he feels the pain of those he could save. The heroic Christ of his childhood and his seminary training remains silent. He is convinced that however trampled upon or distorted this image of Christ, he cannot bring himself to step on it. Rodriguez is in agony. Suddenly, the silence of God is broken, and a voice from the image says to him, Trample, Rodriguez, trample. It is for this that I have come. So just read that synopsis of the novel and the movie, right? In this, this, uh, this novel, The Silence, Rodriguez the priest discovers that his image of Christ, the one that he has been carrying over the years, the one that he believes he is following, was silent when he needed him the most. His prayers were one way. There was silence he was experiencing from God. It is... Um, it is not till he himself is plagued with doubt and uncertainty that, he's, uh, that God speaks. And God's words are shocking. It says, trample, Rodriguez, trample. For it is this that I have come. The Christ that Rodriguez knows doesn't have a voice. Well, why not? Well, maybe that Christ doesn't exist. Is this Jesuit priest giving up the Christ he thought he was following? Is the priest giving up an idol of Christ as strong, powerful, heroic, renouncing a faith in Christ 
he has created in his mind. I like this story for a number of reasons. It's just, it's really complicated. It's, what would you do, right? What would you do? What would Christ do in that moment? It just really, you have to put yourself in that. In that. But it reminds me of the story from our text this morning with Peter. He declares Jesus, I mean, we love Peter, right? He declares Jesus as the Messiah, four verses later, called Satan. <laughs> Whoa, right? This is Peter. This is also the journey of faith. Peter's not alone. Mary goes from asking the question, how could this be, when it's announced that she will carry the Son of God, to let it be so. A father coming to Jesus, asking for his son's healing. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Jesus himself, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. So a bit later in our text this morning, we'll read this. Um, Jesus begins to uncover that the way of what, what the way of discipleship looks like in flesh and blood. But perhaps there's a foreshadowing here, even with the first verse. So Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked, on the way. I like this, on the way. If you are to follow Jesus, there is a way. There's a direction, a path that he is taking. And on the way, discovering true discipleship. So he asked the question, what do others say about me? Which, for me, I, I'm not sure Jesus is concerned. <laughs> you know, like what are others saying about me? How many likes am I getting on Facebook, right? I don't think... But maybe it's the question that leads to the question. What do others say, but now we're going to zero in on, on you? What, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Peter's confession, it's a climactic moment in the Gospel of Mark. Everything's sort of leading up to this. Jesus, or Peter proclaims Jesus as Messiah. And from this point forward, it goes downhill, and it goes downhill quickly, right? Um, they begin, it, this, uh, things begin to get serious at this point in the, in the gospel. The gospel sort of hinges on this proclamation of Peter. Now, if you've grown up in the church, okay, uh, I know for me, we would probably, along with Peter, answer in a similar fashion. I know I would have answered to this question, who do you say that I am, with, my own under, with, with our understanding, our experiences, and our beliefs, right? So we're just like Peter. Again, Jesus tells Peter not to tell anyone, but to keep it between themselves. And so the question is why? You know, so a, a lot of folks, theologians say, well, we can't let this get out too quick because my time has not yet come. It's a sort of a timing thing. But I'll maybe ask the question, maybe it's because what Peter thinks the Messiah ought to be and what the Messiah actually is and will be are too far apart. And for them to proclaim Messiah, it was going to create too much confusion. Just, so, just holding that possibility. So as we continue reading, uh, Jesus sort of changes his mission for his disciples. 
Because at this point in the story, if you were to ask one of the disciples, what's the mission? Well, they might have Mark chapter 1, verse 16 in mind. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's our mission, right? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what they, cool, I'm in. Let's go do that. Who, who doesn't love the fish? Hmm? <laughs> right? So the, but, but um, as we read in the story, I think we um, uh, didn't read the full thing, but I'll, I'll read it here. So the new mission, the new plan. It says in verse 31, Then he began, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and, reject, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and three days rise again. He said this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, what does he do? Well, truthfully, he does what I would have done. And maybe he does what you would have done. Jesus, when I said Messiah, I meant power. I meant getting us out from under the boot of the empire, of Rome. I meant deliverance. I meant liberation. What is this suffering and dying business? Jesus, this isn't the right way to go. Peter rebukes Jesus. Our rebukes of Jesus take on a different form, don't they? If Jesus can feed 5,000 people with some fish and some loaves of bread, then why does most, a lot of the world go to bed hungry at night? If he can calm the sea, surely he can calm the storms in the world, yet rage, yet they rage on. Violence, war, poverty, these storms in the world, right? If he can cleanse a leper, why are so many lives crippled with fear and addiction? If Jesus is all-powerful and loves his chosen people, then why doesn't he intervene when persecution is happening? Like that of our story, silence. Why doesn't he intervene? Jesus seems to be on a different path. And we go to Jesus like, why? You know, we, we begin to rebuke Jesus. Rebuke Jesus for not going our way. As we move on in the, in the scripture text in verse 33, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This statement, it's a harsh one, amen? Pretty harsh, being called Satan by Jesus. And probably embarrassing for Peter, he was probably feeling good about himself. Jesus, you're the Messiah. Four verses later, right? Maybe a little embarrassed. What I think Jesus is actually doing here with Peter is not necessarily name-calling. But I think it's a statement declaring something. I think Jesus in this statement is declaring, Peter, this isn't who you are. Peter, this isn't who you are. I know you, Peter. I'm calling you back to your center. I'm calling you back to your true self. Your false self, your false self is talking crazy again. Talking crazy. The disciples are discovering that this way of Jesus is an invitation to a different kind of kingdom. Peter is invited to be on the way to a, to a different kind of kingdom. 
The disciples are invited to be on the way to the kingdom. And I think we this morning have the same invitation to be on the way to a different kind of kingdom. This Jesuit priest, Rodriguez, from the story, who is he following? Following the powerful, strong, otherworldly, heroic image of Jesus who will come and save the day? Or is he following a passive, broken, suffering, a Jesus who knows pain and is with us? Who is he following? Which Jesus are you following? So, the mission was thought to believe, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But here's the deeper invitation. If you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? As we go back to uh, this the silence novel, suffering, persecution, and death for Rodriguez and his, and his flock, we know that Peter and his disciples are going to experience a very similar persecution, right? We know how the story goes. This same Peter in the Passion story, under threat of death, is asked the question, aren't you one of his disciples? The chance to, de- to deny Christ and choose their own way, well, it was coming for the disciples. We, like the disciples, face temptation to not continue on the way to the kingdom by choosing the easy path, the path of least resistance, a comfortable one. In this Mark account, the transfiguration happens next. And what does Peter do? He still doesn't get it. They go up to the top of the mountain, right? Uh, Peter, James, and John, and they experience Jesus transfigured, Elijah and Moses, and he wants to build these huts. He wants to build these tents. Let us stay here on top of the mountain. He chooses a different path. He wants to stay there. Our culture in the West, we worship, we seek after, and put winning success power, and might at the forefront. One of my old ministry partners often said, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. And I begin to wonder about that statement. Are we following Jesus because he wins? This is much, much different than what we see, like uh, Martin Luther had this, uh, Martin Uh, Luther of the Reformation, um, the theology of the cross. This revealing a Christ who suffers in solidarity and compassion. A God who takes off his glory to join us here on earth, to join us in our shame, abandons a strength and power that is known to him so that he can join us, embrace us, hold us, love us, and redeem us. This is the God who is not silent 
from Endo's novel, Silence. It's the real Christ in the midst, midst of, uh, of agony. Rodriguez found the Christ upon whom the broken can hear. A crucified Christ is good news to a bruised and broken people. It is the crucified Christ who sends us out to our brothers and sisters who are also experiencing life under the boot of the empire, even the empire of the United States. People of color, the LGBT community, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. True discipleship on the way. As you go on the way, as we travel this, this life, this spiritual journey, at different points, maybe Jesus turns to you and says, who do you say that I am? And over the years, how we answer that question might differ. We might grow in our understanding. I think the invitation, you know, the disciples had this understanding, well, you're the Messiah. Yes, I am the Messiah, but I don't look like you think I look. I'm not here to do what you think I'm to do, right? Who do you say that I am? To hold that question, to answer that question. Do we have it figured out? Or are we still on the journey? Is Jesus inviting us deeper? And along with that question, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice old understandings? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? So we'll close here with another minute or so with these, with these questions, and then we'll have our responding song.